enjoying Keswick or if you've been enjoying your summer holidays or if on the other side of the coin you've had a pretty terrible week. Um, I really believe that God's working up a peace to you today, no matter what uh, side of the fence you feel you fall on. Um, and so we're going to read five verses in Scripture today that we're going to think about as we think about this theme of uh, fixing, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's what we're thinking about this summer. Um, and our reading is found in Matthew 4, verses 12 to 17. I think hopefully it'll be on the screen. Um, but before I, I read that and we'll see what God has to say, how about I pray? And then we'll get stuck into it. So let's pray. Um, God, thank you for um, the opportunity to, to hear from your word. Thank you that this is a book which speaks uh, to us today because you're a God that speaks to us today. Um, God, we thank you that behind these words is um, a God of, of love and a God of connection and a God that wants to know and wants to speak to every person gathered here today. Um, so God, help us to tune in um, to your voice and to the sense of your Holy Spirit uh, and in what you're doing in this room and in our hearts, Lord. Uh, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Cool. So Matthew 4, verse 12 to 17, just five verses of scripture that we're going to read today. And this is what it says. You can follow along with me. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I wonder how that passage lands with you today as you read it, right? Um, and in fact, maybe let's ask a bigger question. I wonder how you feel coming to church today, okay, as you sit here. I wonder how you're feeling about all this stuff that Christians say they believe in, right? What Christians call the gospel or the good news about Jesus. If you've maybe been coming to church for a while, I'd love you to ask yourself, how tangible does that gospel message, what you know about it, whether that's a lot or a little, how tangible and real does that feel to you right now? Is the good news about Jesus something that you can see making an impact in your day-to-day -day life? Does it seem to care or have an impact on the place that you live? Does it seem like Jesus cares about your home or what you get up to in your day-to-day? -day? Or have you come to church today maybe feeling a little bit cynical and a little bit skeptical about what all this good news stuff is about and wondering if Jesus really makes a difference in our day-to-day -day lives at all? And the reason that I ask that question is because if you find yourself um, feeling some weariness or suspicion about all this Jesus church God stuff this morning, then perhaps that passage of scripture, um, if we can keep it on the screen, that would be awesome, actually, if that's possible. But no worries, if not, you can look at it in your Bibles. If you're feeling a little bit weary and, and, and run down with this, this God stuff, that passage of scripture that's behind me might feel totally alien and lifeless to you as you read it. Let's be honest, that's a really weird collection of verses, right? With some words that you probably haven't read in the past week and some places and names that you maybe haven't heard of before, right? And that's okay to register that feeling. If you're anything like me and uh, you also didn't grow up in the ancient Middle East, um, I guess that you probably are a bit perplexed 
by some of those place names and, and uh, yeah, geography that's mentioned in this passage in Matthew. And it leaves me with one big question in response to it. How are we today meant to relate to Galilee and Nazareth and Capernaum and Zebulun and Naphtali and the Jordan as followers of Jesus living on the north coast of Northern Ireland in 2023? What could all this have to say to us here in Mount Sandal, right? And initially I thought I'd have to go and get a big map and do some geography to kind of get across to you what this passage is really saying. Um, but I breathed a huge sigh of relief whenever I realized that Matthew, as he writes this, is not primarily interested in giving us a geography lesson in this passage, but rather a lesson about who Jesus is. And this whole passage lets us see Jesus more clearly and more beautifully than before. Right? Um, and so one of the first things that we read in this passage is that Jesus leaves his hometown right, uh, of Nazareth, and he goes and he lives in a place called Capernaum which it says was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. And so we might say we're picking up the story with Jesus flying the nest, right? Leaving his hometown right at the start of this story. And I bet that some of you will be able to relate to that really normal human experience, okay? Uh, where you pack up your bags and, and you leave and you go and live somewhere new. Maybe some of you who maybe are school leavers or who are going to university in September, you're going to feel that for the first time. You know some of the nerves and the excitement that comes with that. Um, uprooting your life, going and moving in another neighborhood, right? It's a very human thing. And I think it's easy for us to gloss over this trajectory and travel of Jesus in these verses. And I think that we should pause for a while and mull over what these mean, right? This idea that Jesus went and lived, actually lived in Capernaum. He packed up his bags in Nazareth, he left his home, and he went and moved into the neighborhood of Capernaum. And I wonder if for some of you, any of that is ringing any bells for you in your memory or sounding familiar to you. Not just because what you, that it, it kind of lines up with what you might experience um, in your own life uh, as a human, although it is always good to notice the kind of commonality between our lives and the lives of Jesus, but because this idea of Jesus going and moving into a different neighborhood is an echo of something else in scripture, right? The idea of Jesus leaving behind his home is something that maybe kind of sounds a little bit familiar to some of you guys. And as is so often the case with God's word, what seems like a little tiny detail like that at first glance is actually a hyperlink to another part of God's word. And it's, 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 it's part of a, a much bigger story for us today. Because in another gospel, in John this time, in John chapter 1, we have another mention of God moving neighborhoods, right? And this time, it's a much bigger leap than just from Nazareth to Capernaum, okay? We read in John 1 that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, Jesus, who's the son of God, is God's truest, clearest, most vibrant revelation of who God is. So he's the, that word. He's the word become flesh, become like a human. Uh, Tim Keller liked to say that in Jesus, the infinite God has come intimately close, right? And so John 1 paints a picture of God the Son leaving his heavenly home and making his home, pitching his tent, setting up shop with normal humans, right? And so that means that both our passage in Matthew and this one that I'm talking about in John chapter 1 are putting the spotlight on the travel of Jesus, 
which is always forsaking and leaving behind the place of comfort that he knew to go to the places where people need the love of God the most. And if you've been around church for a while, you might notice some people call that the incarnation, right? It's a big doctrinal word. And if you've been around church for a while, that might feel a little bit like old news to you. That's something that you hear about in sermons before. And if that is you, I think we can get a fresh insight into the deep truth and beauty of what some people call the incarnation by thinking about what's happening on the ground in this little town of Capernaum. Imagine, right, engage your imaginations. Imagine what it would have been like to have been a Capernaumite back in the day, okay? Imagine what was going on there. I wonder, did anyone living in Capernaum at this time, you know, get together for dinner with their neighbors and say to each other, did you hear the news? Did you hear someone claiming to be God moved in like two doors down the street from us? Isn't that crazy? For the people of Capernaum who came to know who Jesus was and believe in him, the historical fact of the incarnation wasn't just a dry doctrine talked about by ministers or in in sermons or talked about from a pulpit. For them, it was a living and breathing day-to-day reality. I wonder, do you ever think about the fact that God in Jesus walked the sidewalks and the streets of Capernaum? God pointed to Capernaum fishing nets and fishing boots as he preached. He walked up Capernaum mountainsides. He looked up at Capernaum birds in the sky as, as, he, as he talked to people. And then he got bits of Capernaum dust and stones stuck in his sandals between his toes. The people of Capernaum felt the impact of God moving in to their neighborhood. And that looked like Jesus casting out demons, healing diseases, and preaching the good news on their street corners. It must have been amazing to see God at work in your own town like that. And as we ponder these things, I think we begin to feel something a little bit interesting. As we ponder what it must have been like, what, what, it, what must it have been like to experience God in your own town, in your own neighborhood? And we're all suddenly a bit gutted that we ourselves weren't living in Capernaum in 30 AD. We find a deep desire in us to experience all this for ourselves. We're a bit jealous of those Capernaumites, aren't we? We find ourselves wishing that this was our story too. And whenever we get to that place of deep desire, we're primed to let the gospel sink into our bones again, either for the first time or for the millionth time. Because what was true of those guys back in Capernaum is also true of us. God's presence is near us today. The infinite God has come intimately close to Mount Sandal and to each of you in your lives, wherever that may take you. And this means that by God's Spirit, we too can feel the ripple effect and the impact of God's presence where you live. That same healing, the same restoration, the same encouragement that followed Jesus as he walked through Capernaum is on offer for you in the places where you are today. The presence of the infinite God has come near to where you are. And so to return to that question that I started with today, if you're someone who feels a little bit weary about what difference all this gospel stuff makes on your day-to-day life, I think the good news for you, if you can put it this way, is that the gospel has a sense of place, okay? The gospel has a sense of place. And what I mean by that is, is that Jesus has good news and a good plan in store for your little patch of the universe, wherever that is, okay? Now, yes, the gospel message and the hope of Jesus remains the same for everyone, no matter where you are. But Jesus has particular plans and purposes 
for the place where you're living your life right now. I can't, can't help but get excited as I wonder what those plans might be. So maybe you can imagine and think about that throughout your week. Um, but as we ponder this idea of Jesus coming near, we're barely just starting to get our heads around it before later in the passage, Jesus himself starts to introduce a new idea. And it's this idea of the kingdom of heaven in verse 17. When Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And the kingdom of heaven is an endlessly fascinating subject and it's one that Jesus talked a lot about. Um, and it's kind of hard to neatly define. But whatever this kingdom of heaven is, Jesus wants us to know that it also has come into our orbit today. Jesus wanted the people in this town to know that the kingdom had come close to Capernaum. And the people there needed to realize that this wasn't any old like, kingdom, that, kingdom that they knew before, like, like the Roman Empire or maybe like a foreign kingdom like Babylon or Assyria that you read about in the Old Testament. It wasn't a kingdom that was coming close to lay siege or to attack it. This kingdom is an invitation into what God wants to do among humans. And Jesus says, this kingdom is close by. It's not far away or distant. It's not only just waiting for you sometime in the future. You don't only get admitted to this kingdom of heaven whenever you pass from this life into the next one. It's here now. And as I ponder what Jesus is saying here, I realize that this nearness of the kingdom of God and its trajectory towards us seems to match up with the, tra the trajectory of Jesus coming towards us too. We start this passage thinking about how Jesus has come near to those in Capernaum, and now we're thinking about the kingdom of heaven coming near. So there's some kind of connection. Whatever else should be said about the kingdom of heaven, I think Matthew is highlighting to us that the kingdom is inseparable from its king. One commentator has even said that Jesus is the kingdom in person, right? And so these dual orbits of the kingdom and of Jesus are not coincidences. The kingdom has come close because its king has come close. And this is really significant. This tells us a lot about the kind of person and the kind of king that Jesus is, right? This means that Jesus is not a king who wants to remain hidden away from you, right, in a big palace somewhere in the sky, like a staunch monarch with a big crown on his head and a clear sense of the detachment and superiority over the people that he lords over. The big difference about this king is that he wants to be near his people. And proximity makes a difference, right? It means something for us. Um, my, my little sister came and stayed with us uh, last weekend, um, and she was telling me about the Harry Styles concert that she went to a couple weeks ago down in Slane Castle. Um, she said it was great. Um, and she said that she was really lucky because she was really close to the front, right? She was really close to Harry, and she would look over her shoulder, and there was hundreds of people stretching back into the field who were miles away from her. She was convinced that being close up to the action, being close to Harry Styles, made a big difference to her experience. And so for us, right, making a leap from Harry Styles to Jesus, the fact that King Jesus is also close to us also needs to make a difference to our lives, right? This king has left his throne to bring his kingdom to your street, to your living room, to your garden, or to your office where you work. And that means that God has kingdom work in mind for wherever you are. And as we kind of begin to wrap things up today, it's interesting to see that these two depictions of nearness in this passage kind of act as bookmarks um, for what's in the middle of the text. 
Um, you might have noticed that we've, we've jumped right from the start of what Matthew is saying there, Matthew 12, right to the end as we look at what Jesus says. We've left a big hefty gap uncovered in the middle, right? What's going on there? And what we've left behind us is an ancient prophecy from Isaiah about Jesus, right? And so picking up in verse 14, this is what we read about Jesus' movement to Capernaum. Uh, it says in verse 14, it was to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Okay? As I was kind of wrestling with this and trying to figure out what Isaiah was saying and what Matthew was saying as he quoted this through this passage, there was one line in particular that really seemed to intrigue me. And it's part of that big description of this place where the land, uh, sorry, where the light is dawning. See that bit that says, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. What a weird little detail. What's all that about? Why has the prophet Isaiah, and then Matthew, as he quotes it hundreds of years later, chosen to highlight this little bit of coastal detail? Well, this description, even though it's alien to our years, um, as modern Westerners in 2023, um, it would have sounded quite familiar to the ancient ears who were listening at the, at the time. Because the land of Zebulun and Naphtali um, and these lands of Capernaum were all surrounding the Sea of Galilee with harbours and ports for ships and, and trade to travel in and out of. And so the way of the sea was what the locals called it, this kind of local colloquial phrase for local people. And so if we were trying to North Coastify it today, I guess we might say something like, um, you know, Castle Rock or Articlive, by the way, have known downhill west of Riverban, right? Something like that. That's what's going on here. Um, but as I was pondering this more, I started to wonder if there might be something else going on too. I was thinking of this idea of God's presence in Jesus coming by the way of the sea. And I remembered that this is actually an echo of a repeated theme in God's word. See, Jesus seems to do so much of his ministry in the Gospels, whether it's calming storms or feeding thousands or walking on water, with the ocean or the sea or some kind of body of water just kind of over his shoulder in, in, in close proximity to him. He found his closest followers on the shores of fishing villages, and he even, even waded out on top of the water and to go and meet them. And whenever, whenever, when I remembered... Um, or another thing that I remembered then is that all of these depictions of Jesus coming by the water have a much more fundamental echo that they're also pointing back to. And it's right in the first page of your Bible, in the first chapter of Genesis. And if you need a wee refresher, here's what the first two verses of Genesis say, okay? The first page of your Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, in the ancient world, these words in Scripture would have hit a really significant cultural note. Because these deep, dark oceans, right, the, the waters um, that, that are mentioned here, in, in, in society back in the ancient world, they were the source of all the evil, all the chaos, all the fear that hits you in life, okay? All the topsy-turvy doom and gloom that goes on in your day today, they kind of believed that the ocean was like the embodiment of that in the ancient world. The waters were a source of chaos. And so as Genesis 1 paints a picture of the presence of God coming and resting on a body of water, the message would have been clear to those who heard it. In this Christian God, here's a God who is surprisingly present 
to all the mess and all the chaos of your life. Here's a God who wants you to know that he's involved, that he gets it, and that he's, and that, and that, um, he's near the parts of your life that are going to provide you the most fear this, in this incoming week. And so every time you read a story of Jesus calming a storm or walking on water, it's pointing back to God's spirit in Genesis 1, which brings order to chaos and mess. And then for us, as we zoom out today from Genesis 1, I think this is what Matthew and Isaiah are playing on as we read this text today. That as Jesus travels to Capernaum by the way of the sea, he is going into the messy and chaotic places. See, people thought that Jesus would start his campaign, start his ministry in the big, powerful, holy cities like Jerusalem. But he doesn't, right? He goes to the place where the people living in darkness are to kick things off. This is the place where Jesus wants to meet us today too. Not only has the king and the kingdom come close in general to your life, but he's come close to the messy parts of your life too. The parts of your life that cause pain and exhaustion. The king and the kingdom are almost magnetically drawn to help out in those parts of your life. And I wonder as we finish how you feel about that idea of God coming close to the mess in your day-to-day. I wonder if you're being honest, it actually makes you feel a little bit uneasy, right? Because we like to keep the messy parts of our life hidden away from others, okay? So whether it's the dirty clothes and cluttered, like, or, uh, clutter that you kick behind your bedroom door whenever people come to visit, right? Or it's the guilt or the shame that you you drag around with you that no one else knows about. We don't want people to see these parts of our lives. And if that's how you feel, then maybe this idea of letting God in to the chaotic and messy places of your life feels really, really vulnerable and quite scary. I don't want my friends or my family to see those areas of my life, never mind the king of kings. If you're feeling that way, I have some good news for you because look where this story ends up. Whenever God's presence comes near the topsy-turvy, messy, and dark places, the same transformation always happens. So in Genesis 1 and Isaiah, God brings light into the chaotic and dark places. In Genesis, God speaks, and there was light. And in Isaiah, the people living in darkness see a great light. Hope appears. And so as we picture God coming near to the messiness of your life as you think ahead to your week, That picture is not complete unless we see the light and the hope that God brings through situations. Because Jesus doesn't just come near to be nosy or to know all your business, right? Jesus comes to bring the kingdom of heaven to you and to bring you hope. And so if all that's true, then we need to respond to it. How do we respond to a message like that? And the good news is that it's not complicated. Jesus tells us how. As he came to Capernaum, he brought the people there an invitation um, in verse 17. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And repent is a word that, you know, a lot of Northern Irish churchy Christian folk down through the years like to throw around without much meaning. But all it really means is to just turn around, right? To live differently in light of this good news. And so today, Jesus wants us to live differently in light of the kingdom of heaven that's coming near to us today. It is a new reality to orient our entire lives by. That's what repentance is. It's not just feeling sorry for the bad things that you say or do, it's, it's much more than that. It's about viewing your entire life differently. And so to help us view life differently like that this week, here's two questions that you can mull over 
maybe as we have some quiet time, maybe during the sharing time or as we come to communion, you can mull over these words or these two questions. Um, what would it look like for the kingdom of heaven to be a felt reality on your street? Imagine that happened. What kind of healing or restoration do you think you, you can imagine happening? And then secondly, what areas of chaos and messiness in your life do you need to ask Jesus to come and bring light to this week? Where's the chaos and mess? And how can you ask Jesus to come and bring light to it? So I thought that would be a good place to end. And so I'm going to pray and pray for God to actually help us as we process these things and uh, think about these questions. And then the praise team is going to come up again to help us respond as well. So let's pray um, to finish up. Father, thank you so much for sending Jesus to come near to the messy and chaotic places of our life. Holy Spirit, would you bring to mind those places for each of us right now, the places in our life that are providing us anxiety, um, the parts of our, our week that we're dreading, the things in our past that cause us a lot of pain, guilt. And God, would you help us to get a vision of, a, a picture of, of, of the light of the kingdom of heaven breaking in to those places, those situations. God, will we accept the hope that the kingdom of heaven brings to our doorstep? And Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see that hope on our streets, on our sidewalks this week, wherever we go. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, would you like to stand? We'll respond in song. Lord, I come to you.